Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Old Providence Associate Reform Presbyterian Church. What a joy it is to gather together in this place to worship the Lord together. And I welcome you, whether you are a visitor or maybe you're a longtime member. I'm just so delighted that we have this time to come together. Now, before we begin our worship service, let me simply point out a few things to you because we have a lot going on today. Be aware of your bulletin, all right? The goings-on, like our coming Christmas cantata and candlelight service, that's on the 18th. On Wednesday the 14th, we're going to be having our Christmas supper with carols in Providence Hall. Um, again, there are more things revolving around Christmas happening in your bulletin, so be aware of those. We also have the regular stuff going on, like youth group tonight is at 5.30. Uh, lots of different things. Wednesday night, daily devotionals, all sorts of things. If you have any questions, please let me know or one of the elders know and we will get you plugged in. Now, let me also take the time to say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you so much for all of your hard work, for all of your support for yesterday's holiday community meal. I do not have the exact numbers, and so I can be corrected on this, but I think around 400 dinners were served. It was just incredible. Upwards of $6,000 was raised, so it was a wonderful time. Again, thank you for your support. Uh, Christy, Carrie, Karen, so many people work so hard to pull everything off. I have no idea how hard it is to cook for that many people but I know it's not easy. So thank you so much, ladies, and the men who helped too. Um, such a blessing. Now, one last thing before we have special music, and we welcome our co-op, our homeschool co-op, to do special music. But um, I do want to point out the two bulletin inserts that you have today. One of those inserts is for the poinsettias, in remembrance of folks or in honor of folks. Thank you so much for making our sanctuary or, or helping our sanctuary look beautiful. So that's one of the inserts. The other insert is the revised budget, okay, immediately after the morning worship service. Everybody's welcome to stay, but members especially, we need you to stay because we are having our annual stated congregational meeting, okay? That's immediately after the morning worship service, and if you didn't get a bulletin, you won't have a copy of the revised budget. It is slightly, slightly different than last week's budget, but um, please make sure you get one of those. Now, again, there are lots of things going on. Tis the season to be busy. However, the Lord has given us this time, this time that he has set apart for us to leave all of the busyness and instead to focus on him and all of his greatness. And so we will do that. Now, I want to welcome our homeschool co-op to come up and offer some special music for us. Not the forgotten shepherd, but the bride of God. 
Thank you so much, Homeschool Co-op, and their program is going to be Tuesday. Oh, I didn't interrupt you. Okay, good. I didn't want to interrupt if there was a second one, but thank you all so much for that. Now, let's prepare our hearts. I think they have helped us very much prepare our hearts, but let's prepare our hearts for worship as Donna leads us in the prayer. Our call to worship this morning is found in Psalm 47, and it says, Clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with a jubilant cry. For the Lord, the Most High, is awe-inspiring, a great king over the earth. He subdues people under us and nations under our feet. He chooses for us our inheritance, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God ascends among shouts of joy. The Lord, with the sound of a ram's horn, Sing praise to God. Sing praise. Sing praise to our King. Sing praise. Sing a song of wisdom. For God is King of the whole earth. God reigns over the nations. God is seated on His holy throne. The nobles of the people have assembled with the people of the God of Abraham. For the leaders of the earth belong to God. He is greatly exalted. My friends, as we come together, this the second Sunday of Advent, this at Christmas time, with everything decorated so beautifully in front of us, we recognize that Christmas can also be a time that is difficult. 
a time where we are tempted on, the fo on, fo on focusing on that which we don't have as opposed to what we do and sometimes on the way things should be, ought to be instead of the way things are. And yet the message of God's word is the same for all eternity and it is that God is sovereign. That he is the one that leads with a righteous hand and so therefore we come trusting in him Come to worship the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's now stand and take our hymn books and turn to number 166 as we sing together. God rest you, merry gentlemen. Let's stand and sing together. Number 166. Let's now go. To, I'm so sorry. Let's continue with the last verse. Now. you may be seated how dare I try to proceed past this holy tide of Christmas all others step this place indeed that is the truth now let's take this time and go to the Lord for it is he that has called us to this place 
After we pray, after I offer the invocation, we'll pray the Lord's Prayer together and then confess the Apostles' Creed. Let's go to our Lord now. Our God and our Father, what a blessing it is that you have called us to this place. Oh, tidings of comfort and joy are that which you give to us through your word at all times, but especially this time of the year, this time where we stop in the midst of the hustle and the bustle in the midst of all the trappings of the season. You've given us this time, this time that we focus on you on your love, on your mercy, on the fact that you called us here and not a single one of us by accident. So would you please work in our hearts now? Guide us as we come into this time. By your Holy Spirit, let us worship you in spirit and in truth so that the the songs that we lift up would glorify you, so that the prayers that we offer would praise you and be effective. And certainly, as we go to your word, Oh, Father, guide us by your spirit that we would see the truth and the hope and the love and the joy that is there in the power of Jesus Christ and of your word. So please, again, guide us in this time, Father. We pray these things in Christ's name and we also pray as he taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And now as we say the Apostles' Creed together, let me ask you, Christian, what is it that you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Amen indeed. Let's, Let's now stand again. And we'll take our hymnals and turn to number 159 as we sing, What Child Is This? Number 159. Stand with me.
Thank you very much. You all may be seated. And children, come on down front. We'll get you up here one way or another. All righty. Let's see what we can do here. We're going to need some on the second row right back here. My goodness, we've got a passel of youngins today. Come on down, sweetheart. We've got room right here. Y'all scooch together really good. Do we have room? We might have room. You know, not having enough room, there are worse problems to have than not having enough room, right? Well, good morning, everybody. How are y'all? That was kind of weak. Good morning, everyone. That is much, much better. How's everybody doing? Good. Well, good. Homeschool co-op children, y'all did a wonderful job. So thank you for doing that. I hope that you have had a good week and that you have a good week coming up. Are you guys getting excited for Christmas? Yes. Yes, yes. I know that I sure am. Christmas is a wonderful time of the year. I love the music, the presents, the gathering, the tree, all of the stuff that makes Christmas Christmas. But you know what? sometimes there can be so much stuff going on around Christmas and so many things that we think of when we think of Christmas that we forget what Christmas is really all about. Now, there are lots of ways to remember what Christmas is all about, but one good way to remember is the Advent wreath that is right over here beside us, all right? Every week, we light a new candle in the Advent wreath, and it represents something different about Christmas, something very important. Last week, we lit the very first candle. That's the one that's just pretty low over there, right? We lit that. Does anybody remember? And I know some of y'all were here. Does anybody remember what that candle represents? I G- Give me a good guess, then. That's okay. No, no, not last week. Peace? Not peace. No. It represents hope. It represents hope. Who knows what hope means? Is there a definition for hope? Lay it on me. Oh, you know what? You just said the modern definition of hope. But And, and y'all, I did not pay Olivia to, to say that right there. But if you didn't hear, she said that hope means wishing. And you know what? To a lot of people, hope does mean wishing. And you can wish for all sorts of things, right? You might wish that it snows on Christmas. You might wish for lots of presents. You might wish to see somebody. Y'all, when you wish for something, sometimes it happens and sometimes it doesn't. When we make wishes, we kind of say to ourselves, well, maybe it'll happen, maybe it won't. But when the Bible talks about hope, it talks about something different. Now listen to this. This is from Hebrews chapter 11. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Is that clear to everybody? Is it? Well, you and I need to talk because it's not completely clear to me because that's one of the hard verses of the Bible. But it tells us something very important about hope and it tells us something about faith. Faith, what we believe in our hearts and in our heads. Hope, that which we look forward to, according to the Bible, shouldn't be something that might happen and it might not happen. Instead, hope is what we trust in just like faith. And y'all, the reason that we burn a candle over there that represents hope is because of all the wonderful things that Christmas means. Christmas is all about hope because when Christmas came, who came? That's right. I'm glad nobody said Santa Claus. 
Yes, Jesus came that first Christmas 2,000 years ago. And because Jesus came, and because he lived the perfect life, hold on just a second, because he came, because he lived the perfect life, because he died on the cross for our sins, if we'll trust in him, if we will place all of our hope in him, we will be saved. And while there's lots of wonderful things about Christmas, we should always remember that our hope, right, in our heads and in our hearts, our hope should be based on Jesus alone. Okay? Did you want to ask something? tell you what, Santa Claus is an interesting subject, but on Sunday morning we talk about Jesus, that's right. That's a very good point. Now y'all know why the children's sermon is the most dangerous five minutes of any worship sermon. Let me pray for y'all and then you can be dismissed. Okay. Our Father, I thank you so much for these children and I pray that both in their hearts and in our hearts, all of our hearts, our hope would be based on Jesus alone because you never disappoint us. We can always trust your word, and we know that when Jesus promised to save us, that he paid for our sins, and he has saved us. And if we'll trust in him, if we'll hope in him, we have nothing to fear. So please give them that hope, give us that hope. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, y'all may be dismissed. Now, as the children are being dismissed, we're going to take this time and go to our Lord in silent prayer. And then I'll lead us in the pastoral prayer. And at the completion of that, the ushers will come forward for the tithes and offerings. But let's go to our Lord now in silent prayer first. Eternal God and Heavenly Father, it is with the sound of feet echoing in our ears and small voices laughing and also the word of hope that we have received from your scriptures that we find such joy, that we are so grateful, we're so thankful that you are at work. As your son promised, so he has been good to his word that he is indeed building his church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. As we reflect on the state of the world around us, how lost it is. People groping in darkness, wondering and wandering. We are so grateful that you have worked in our hearts. We are so grateful that you have called us to this place. For those that know you, we have yet again the opportunity to praise you, to learn from your word, to lift up our prayers. And for those here that do not know you, oh, Father, that the light of your gospel would blaze forth, that they would see their great need for you. 
as we consider this life that we lead. Your blessings abound. Your provision, certainly, but the fact that you are the giver of every good and perfect gift is reflected in so many ways. And yet, Father, as we live this life, we still face challenges. We face hurt and heartache, loss and confusion. Again, this time of the year that is so nostalgic, that is so loaded with images and ideas of how things ought to be, can be a painful reminder to so many of how things are instead. The injustice of this world mounts up. The bitterness of hate shows its face far too often. And so, Father, we pray that you would work in light of this. Again, the only answer to darkness is light, the light of Jesus Christ, the beauty of the gospel. So help us, those of us that know you, to proclaim the truth of your word and to live as examples of your greatness. And yet as we struggle, as we face difficulty, whether it be of a physical variety, a spiritual variety, mental, it doesn't matter. As we face difficulty, let us focus on the light of Jesus Christ as well. Many of us are struggling. Some with sicknesses that have lasted some time. Some with new sicknesses and doctors don't know what's going on. Some, some have had surgeries. Some are waiting on surgeries. You know all these things, Father. So please bring restoration and healing. Others amongst us are struggling in other ways. Again, with sadness. With weariness. Oh, how the world wears us down. Others still are struggling with loss. Remembering loved ones that might have passed recently and some might have passed quite some time ago, but, but grief, we fool ourselves when we think it's a point A to point B journey. And instead, especially at these times of the year, we remember those that have gone on before us. So Father, please remind us of your promise that this life is not all there is, that eternity awaits. And let us take heart in your goodness. As we think about ourselves here at Old Providence, we know there are other afflictions and we pray that you would bring encouragement where necessary, correction where necessary even in your mercy. And we pray this also for your church universal. You have united us together in Jesus Christ as brothers and sisters under his name as heirs of the kingdom with not only a common promise that we hold to but with a common task and that is to be your people. So let us do this. And as we consider the world around us, again, Father, we pray for revival. We pray that those who do not know you would come to know you and those who do, that they would be convicted and drawn back to you again and again. Give us hope, real hope, not the stuff of this world, but real hope that is based on your goodness alone. And now, Father, as we come to this portion of the service where we collect our tithes and offerings, we pray your blessings on the gift. We pray your blessings on the giver. We ask that these funds would be used in accordance with your will and for your kingdom. And we pray it all in Christ's name. Amen. I'll ask the ushers to come.
finally got somebody that'll get some kind of response. Mac, you keep it up, brother. Child is ready. But really and truly, what a wonderful reminder that the joy of Christmas is for all, but only in Jesus Christ. So thank you very much, choir, for that. Well, I just have to say again, as I said last week, Merry Christmas, everybody. Last Sunday, we had the joy of celebrating communion with one another. But in addition, last Sunday, as I noted earlier, was the first Sunday of Advent. Yes, Advent, which is simply defined as the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. And we use that term in the church to denote the arrival of the most notable person, the most important person, the most important event of all time. We use that term as we examine, as we ponder, as we celebrate the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ some 2,000 years ago when he came that first Christmas. Now, if you worship with us last week, perhaps you recall, or maybe you listened to the children's sermon, we focused on the meaning of that first Advent candle that is burning before you in our Advent wreath, and the first candle represents the hope of Christmas. And to see the hope of Christmas, we actually started in Isaiah chapter 9, when the prophet Isaiah gave that wonderful message of encouragement that a child would be born, that a Savior would be given, and he would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. And that promise, that hope, of course, was not just for Israel and Judah. It wasn't just for that particular time 2,000 years ago. No. The hope of all creation rests on this child. This child, of course, is God the Son, Jesus the Christ. We know him to be the King of kings. And because Jesus is Lord, that hope has no expiration. That hope simply has that time of fruition where it comes to all of its fullness at his return, at his second coming. So that's what we focused on last week, the first week of Advent, along with the nature of hope itself. I talked about it with the kids this morning, how real hope, and we need to examine ourselves, real hope is faith in action. It's the stuff of action. And so in light of this, I ask you again, what is the basis of your hope? If it is in anyone or anything other than Jesus Christ, then I love you enough to tell you that your hope is hopeless unless it is in Christ. The message of Christmas is that Jesus came. God the Son took on flesh. He made his dwelling among us. And as a result of him living the perfect life, dying on the cross, taking our sins on himself, we can have new life. No one is beyond redemption. God changes the unchangeable. And so hence... The hope of Christmas is an important thing indeed, and that first candle represents it. But what about the second candle that you might have noticed that is burning in front of you? What does it represent? There's far more to Christmas than hope, much more. And so today, in God's word, we fast forward around 750 years past Isaiah, where we were last year, to the time of Paul and the apostles, and specifically today, to the book of Titus. So go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to the book of Titus with me. Now, the book of Titus, of course, is actually a letter. 
And it's written by the Apostle Paul to Titus, who Paul had left behind to help organize the churches around Crete. Okay? Now realize in terms of geography, Crete was an especially difficult place to minister and to organize a church because of its great immorality. All right, it was central to trade routes, a lot of sailors, that sort of thing. The gods and goddesses they worship, the, the, the worship for those gods and goddesses was absolutely vile. You find all forms of debauchery. And so what you had, in essence, was Titus ministering in the place where there was a war going on. And it wasn't a war between militaries. It's this culture war, right, where you had Titus trying to forge a way forward with the church of Jesus Christ. And yet the society that they were in was so immoral, so, so wicked, so nasty. Not so unlike our culture today, when you think about it. Nevertheless, his endeavor for the Lord, in his endeavor, Titus faced many challenges as a result of that society. And so Paul wrote the letter to him, the book of Titus, the letter to him, in order to instruct him, in order to encourage him. Now... The question, what does that have to do with the second candle burning before you? Well, if you look in chapter 3, we're going to start reading in verse 1, and we will find out. But first, let's stop and pray, because we need help. Our Father, please be with us now. As we come to this portion of our service where we go to your word, we are reminded of our deficiencies. We are reminded of the baggage that we bring. We know that Satan is at work, even in this place. The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Nevertheless, Satan is always working to distract, to discourage, to point out our sin, to try to convince us that there is no forgiveness, or that we're too far gone, or so many things, Father. We pray that you would thwart his work. That now, by your Holy Spirit, We would both understand the meaning of your word, yes, but also that we would see how to apply it to our lives. And as a result, we would leave here changed people. We can't do this on our own, so please guide us now by your Holy Spirit. And we pray it in Christ's name. Amen. And so we are in Titus chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Hear now the word of the Lord. It says, Remind them to submit to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to slander no one, to avoid fighting, and to be kind, always showing gentleness to all people. For we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. But when the kindness of our God, or God our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit, he poured out his Spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. And we'll stop reading right there. May God bless the reading of his holy, inerrant, and infallible word. Amen and amen. Now, the question. We've read our text, but what does this have to do with the second candle that is burning before you? And what does this passage have to do with Christmas? 
Well, consider what we just read. Chapter 3 is the final chapter in the book of Titus. And Paul is really sort of just closing things up here by giving some reminders, by giving some final instructions. Let's look at them. Uh, starting out at the start in verses 1 and 2, we see it again. Paul tells, the, tells Titus, and he tells Titus to remind the church members to submit to those in authority over them. To refrain from slandering one another. To avoid fighting. To, to be prepared to do good works. And to be kind. To be gentle. Just take a moment to think about these things. Would the world not be such a better place if people did this? If people were kind. Just kind. If people avoided fighting. If instead of talking about one another, people talked to one another. And if we were gentle. You know, it's odd. We live in this time where these are the ideals that are presented by the world, aren't they? You can see the bumper stickers out there. Be kind. Be a good human. All this kind of stuff. But it doesn't exactly fit with what we can observe in the world. The world says be kind, but the idea of the world is be kind to people that agree with you on everything. If you look at the passage, I don't know about you. I mean, I'm looking at my translation here. I copied and pasted it to the screen. And if you have a Bible that has an asterisk mark or a footnote, then you've got the wrong kind of Bible because there's no caveats here. It doesn't say to be kind to people if they agree with you. It doesn't say to be gentle with people if they vote the way that you vote or if they hold to the same ideal, the same philosophy. No, none of that is in there. Instead, we are given this command, we are given this privilege to be this and other things. Why? Why of all the ways that Paul could end his letter to Titus, does he end this way? Well, we're told why in the next verse. And we're told why we're to slander no one, to avoid fighting, to be kind. All of these different things. Why are we to do this? Look at verse 3. It says, for we too were once foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by various passions and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, detesting one another. Whoo, y'all. Paul doesn't pull any punches here, does he? What he's saying here is that we should be kind as God's people. We should be kind. We should be gentle and so forth. Because we were once exactly like the world around us that is still these things. Paul is saying that we're the ones that are supposed to be changed people. That when you look at the ugliness of the world, you shouldn't see that in God's people. Because we've been redeemed. What Paul really does here is he puts his finger on the human condition. This list of things that he gives there. Foolish, disobedient, deceived. Look around you. Paul says you used to be these things when you were part of the world. Nothing's changed in 2,000 years. Doesn't this list describe what you see going on? The first one, foolishness. Y'all, I've said it so many times up here. Psalm 14.1, the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. And so we shouldn't be surprised when foolish people do foolish things. But sometimes you turn on the news. If you still take the newspaper, people ask me why I don't. I, I can get disappointed for free. I don't have to pay for it to be delivered to my door every day. But really and truly, y'all, if you look at the world around you, isn't foolishness one of the defining characteristics? When you see the things that people believe... 
when you hear about things and you scratch your head, and if I had hair, I'd pull it out, but you say, who thought this was a good idea? The way people treat each other, it's just foolishness, pure and simple. The, the next one that he's a disobedience. Don't we live in a time of disobedience? To parents especially, I don't know about y'all, I look at the world around you, just go to Walmart sometime, and I know that, that children throw fits and all that kind of stuff, but I think back to when I was a kid, and I think, man, I would wake up in a hospital somewhere if I talked to my mother, or may not wake up at all, I don't know, it, but we live in this time of disobedience where children are elevated to such a level um, that, that they're treated like the adults, and the parents act like friends, and the end result is you've got this generation that's built nothing and wants to destroy everything. Disobedience has not changed in 2,000 years. It's not only that deception. You know, if you wonder about the foolishness, if you wonder about the disobedience, isn't it all rooted in the deception of this world? This world that tries to sell you things constantly, but they pretend like you're joining a movement. This world that offers to give you peace and fulfillment and joy, and yet... If you look on the other side of the box that they sell you, you find out that there's no returns on it, and it just ends up disappointing. But y'all, we live in this time of deception. Paul points all of these things out to Titus, and by extension, the church in Crete, and by extension to you and me. And he says, listen, y'all are supposed to treat one another kindly. Y'all are supposed to love each other, because look at the world around you. You have in Jesus what the world is missing. We live in this time that is based on Romans 1 where people have exchanged the truth of God, God's word, for a lie. And yet we have the truth. And we're called to do these things. To, to preach the truth, to carry the truth. And the rest of the verse is just as applicable as these key words that pop out there, right? He says, we too were once enslaved by various passions and pleasures. Isn't the whole world around you about finding your passion and pleasure? And unapologetically fulfilling it? If you had to pick one phrase to describe the current, the current philosophy of the world, it's, it's uh, if it feels good, do it. Y'all, what a disastrous idea this is. Yet the world peddles this and it promises change. And yet nothing changes. People are lost. And the end product of this is malice, envy, hatefulness, detesting one another. Again, I, I don't have to tell you all this. You see how the world works. But using the language from Isaiah 9 last week, the world really is in gloom and darkness. But you'll notice what Paul says there. We too were once. Yes, that's right. Paul is saying we used to be that way too. But something happened. Something happened to interrupt the pattern of this world. What is it? Well, my friends, this is where Christmas comes in. Because something happened that changed everything. And we ought to live in light of it. It took a world that was full of gloom and darkness and then injected light. It took a world full of sorrow and brought joy and hope. What happened? Look at verse 4 again. In the beginning of verse 5, it says this. Wonder what happened? This is it. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us. 
So the question, what happened that changed everything? That brought the possibility of hope, of change? It's simple. Christmas happened, y'all. That's what. Christmas happened. And why does Christmas change everything? Because it was at Christmas that, as we just read, God's love appeared at Christmas. That's why it's possible to change. That's that's what the basis of, of our hope is. The first candle burning in our Advent wreath represents the hope of Christmas. But the candle that burns before you today represents the love of Christmas. Because God so loved the world that his love for mankind appeared that first Christmas. And with Jesus came hope. With Jesus came love. With Jesus came salvation. Look at the rest of verse 5. It's so simple. It says he saved us. Not by works of righteousness that we had done. But according to his mercy. Through the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Did you hear that? The reason we celebrate the love of Christmas is because it's the love of Christmas. It's Jesus Christ that saves us. Not based on anything that we do. Not based on how good of people we are. Not based on how nice we are. But based simply on mercy. What a beautiful word that is. Let me ask you something. Have you ever been the recipient of mercy? I mean real mercy and grace. Where not only do you not get what's coming to you. You get the opposite of what you deserve. It can be simple things y'all. Just think. Think about an act of mercy that you have experienced and how big of a difference it makes. It can be something as simple as somebody lending a helping hand. Somebody saying, oh, you need help with that? I'll be over tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock. Someone telling you that they love you. It can be getting out of a speeding ticket, y'all. Doesn't that feel great to get that mercy, right? And that's just temporary stuff. That's just the stuff of right now. And yet... The mercy that God's word points us to at the coming of God's love at at Christmas. It's mercy that's so sweet that you never forget it. Because he describes it in verses 6 and 7 by saying, In his mercy, he poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior. Do you get what that means? It means that God didn't just give you a way to be saved. He didn't just say, all right, here's a list. Follow this and you'll be in good shape. No. God has given us the very best thing that he can because he's given us himself. He's given us himself in his Holy Spirit to dwell within us, to be our advocate, to be our counselor, to be the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. We talk about gifts at Christmas. And yes, indeed, Jesus Christ is the greatest gift of all for he took on flesh and made his dwelling among us. But his spirit dwells with you now if you're trusting in Christ. And in that you've been justified by grace. And you've become an heir. An heir of the kingdom of heaven with eternal life. And it's that ultimate culmination there. Being heirs with Jesus. Receiving God's kingdom. Y'all this is wonderful beyond our wildest reckoning. Let me ask you. Do you take the time to think about glory? It's Christmas time. Maybe not. But do you take the time to think about heaven. We really should, you know. 
There's a reason that Jesus spent so much time talking about things like not storing up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where the thief will come and break in and steal and kill. Instead, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. It's heaven that we ought to have our vision set on. It's heaven that we ought to be investing in as we move our way forward. Y'all, heaven is so glorious and I find that sometimes we forget to think about it. We get wrapped up in this world and for good reason because sometimes this world sinks its talons in. It gets hold of you. It makes you think that this life is all there is and that there's no way forward, that nothing can change. And yet it is the promise of heaven that God gives us to point us to the fact that not only can things change, things will change. The only difference is if you're in Christ, they will change for the better. But if you're not, they will change for the worse. Take the time to dwell on heaven. Y'all know, if you've ever been to a funeral I've conducted, I use this at every single funeral because there's no greater time to think about the promises of God than when we have lost a loved one and the promise that we'll be with them. But I tell people all the time to consider heaven. And I love the book of Revelation because of this. You know, the apostle John received the revelation. That's why it's called that. And throughout the book of Revelation, as he describes heaven, He keeps repeating this phrase. He keeps saying, I saw something like. Before the throne was something like a sea of glass, as clear as crystal or or similar to crystal, whichever translation you use. And the question is, why does he say, I saw something like? I saw something like streets paved with gold that was transparent. There's a disagreement on this, but I'll tell you why I think he says it. I, I think that he says it because what he saw was so glorious. What he beheld with his eyes and with his ears was so spectacular that he couldn't put it into words for you and me. I'm sure that he saw colors that his eyes had never registered before, heard sounds that his ears had never heard before. And y'all, Revelation is a glimpse. What we will receive in Christ is that full inheritance according to our passage. And why? Because the love of mankind, God's love for mankind appeared at Christmas very first Christmas. And there's an irony to that though. Because even though all of this wonder and glory started when according to verse 4 the kindness of God and his love for mankind appeared, it was at his appearing. It was his incarnation that was not kind. Our Lord's incarnation that first Christmas was mean. It was cold. It was scandalous. But he came nonetheless That's why Christmas is all about God's love. That's why the candle burns before you and we recognize God's love. And I'm here to tell you today that this love can be yours. This love that changes all things, but only if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Only if you are trusting in him alone for your salvation. Y'all, it comes down to this. He loved you enough to come, to live and to die for you. Will you love him? He gave his life for you. Will you give your life to him? Because the fact is this, based on our passage where Paul says, you need to be kind and gentle and all these things because you used to be that way. According to our passage, it really comes down to you devoting yourself to one of two things. You'll either devote yourself to the world and follow the pattern of this world, or you'll devote yourself to Jesus Christ. 
And I'm here to tell you the world is temporary, but heaven is eternal. The world disappoints, but Jesus never will. The world offers nothing you can hang on to, but as we've read, your inheritance in Christ is life eternal in glory. I love the quote by, by Jim Elliott, the, the missionary, to, I believe it was Ecuador, <clears throat> who was martyred for his faith. He went to share the gospel. He was killed by natives, but his famous quote is, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. This is life in Christ. We can get so busy running around the world, pursuing the things of the world, and none of those things last. Yet in Christ there is fullness. In Christ there is real life. But only in him. If you haven't turned to him, do that today. Place your faith in him. Receive the free offer of the gospel. But if you have done that, love one another. Remember what you used to be. Remember where you came from. And if you can't remember that, then realize where you would be without him. That you'd be just as lost as the world. Love one another, remembering how your sins have been forgiven. Remembering to show the mercy to others that has been shown to you. My friends, this is what Christmas is all about. That God loved us so that he sent his son. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this time that you have given to us. And we thank you for Jesus Christ and the gift of your spirit. And we praise you for your love that is evident in so many ways. Oh, Father, that we would love one another. And that those that do not know your love would turn to you today. Please work in our hearts. And I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Now let us stand together as we close by singing, Come Thou Long Expected Jesus, number 151. Please stand with me as we sing.
Before I pronounce the benediction again, I'd ask our members to stay for the congregational meeting. Others are welcome as well. Now receive the benediction. May the grace and the peace and the mercy and the love and the fellowship of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be upon you both now and forevermore.